deserve to be blessed. And Jesus didn't deserve to be cursed. But because Jesus chose to be cursed, now I am blessed. Welcome to Rogue Grace. This is Peter John. Glad to be with you on this Wednesday morning. Come on out tonight at 7 o'clock. We'll be gathering, studying God's Word, enjoying God's presence together. Wednesday night, I mean, really, what better thing to do tonight, on Wednesday night? Most likely, you don't have anything really, really important scheduled tonight. Most likely. You may, but most likely. You're just going to be hanging at home or watching The Simpsons. (laughs) So, come on out tonight. And be blessed as my dad looks at Proverbs 31. An incredible proverb. The last one. You know Proverbs 31. It deals with the virtuous, the incredible wise woman. Well, I'm not a woman, you say. I'm a dude. Come on out. It's always fun to learn about women. (laughs) And also how it applies to us even as dudes. In Leviticus 27, we read, When a man dedicates his house as a holy gift to the Lord, the priest shall value it as either good or bad. As the priest values it, so it will stand. (laughs) I read that. that. Isn't that telling? Isn't that absolutely understandable even today, thousands upon thousands of years later, someone dedicates or donates their house to the Lord. I'm giving this to the Lord because I am going to dedicate it to him. I'm going to donate it to his kingdom. I'm going to give it to God. And it sounds so generous. Well, the priest then comes onto the scene to the property where the house is at. And the priest is the one who makes the declaration, it is a good house or it is a bad house. (laughs) It is a beautiful thing or it is a piece of junk. Why does the priest do that? Because maybe, maybe the Lord knew that it might be our tendency to unload upon him things that are junky. When the house no longer can be lived in or sold or has lost all of its value, I'm going to give it to God. And so there's a priest that comes that makes that distinction between a good house and a bad house. We'll get this. Jesus is our great high priest who looks at you and you think, I'm a bad house. I've housed a lot of bad stuff. But you see, if Jesus is your great high priest, if by faith you have elevated him to a place of prominence, of being your savior, Jesus says you are good. Jesus declares it is 
good. You have value. Jesus gives you the value. He is your great high priest. We're going to talk about that today in Hebrews, how Jesus is our great high priest in spite of the fact that he's not a Levite. You know, the priests of the Old Testament up to the time of Jesus came from the tribe of Levi, yet Jesus was born in Judah. So how can he be a high priest if he's not from Levi? And the answer to that found in Hebrews is that Jesus didn't come from Levi. Jesus came from something even greater than Levi. Jesus came from someone that Levi in Abraham bowed down to. Jesus came from this priest who wasn't a Levite, who preceded the tribe of Levi. Jesus came in the order of a guy named Melchizedek. We'll be right back. You gave me the stars, put them out of my reach. Call me the waters a little too deep. Oh, I've never been so aware of my need. You keep on making me see. It's way beyond me. It's way beyond me.
So now picking up where we left off in Hebrews chapter 7, let's talk about this guy, this priest, Melchizedek. We already read last session yesterday that this man, Melchizedek, whom Abraham bowed down to, gave tithe to and received bread and wine from, was the king of Jerusalem and the priest of the Most High God. Uniquely, unlike any other king, even though others had tried after him, Melchizedek is the one king who was also a priest and vice versa. Because normally God is saying, I don't want my kings being priests, nor my priests being kings, because what we call today in America, separation of church and state. The first mention of separation of church and state is found in the Old Testament, my friends, in the law where kings could not be priests, nor priests become kings, although a couple had tried, like we said yesterday. Because priesthood and politics must not mix. Which is interesting because I could easily use this radio program to be political, couldn't I? That would be tempting, it might not be interesting, I don't know, but I could talk to you about politics and weave in scripture in order to validate my point of view until I realize that there's only one priest and king, Melchizedek, and the one who came from Melchizedek or is at least pictured by Melchizedek, if not him himself, and that would be Jesus Christ. He is the only one who is able to combine politics and the priesthood, the kingdom and the ordinances of the Levitical law. He's not a Levite. Listen to this. In Hebrews chapter 7, verse 11. Now, if perfection had been attainable through the Levitical priesthood, what further need would there have been for another priest to arise after the order of Melchizedek? For when there is a change in the priesthood, there is necessarily a change in the law as well. For the one whom these things are spoken belong to another tribe, from which no one has served at the altar. For it is evident that our Lord was descended from Judah, and in connection with the tribe, Moses said nothing about priests. So, after the order of Aaron, and in the tribe of Levi, in which Aaron was, comes the priesthood. Right? So, the priesthood comes from the tribe of Levi. Remember why? When the people of Israel were taking idols and making idols while Moses was up on the mountain, Mount Sinai, receiving the law of God, they were dancing nakedly, they were wigging out, 
And Moses said, who is on the Lord's side? And it was the tribe of Levi that said, we are and unsheathed their swords and brought about justice. And they became from that point forward priests. So from that point on, it was the Levites and their descendants, those in the tribe for thousands of years who were priests. Well, what about Jesus? It says he descended from Judah. It says in Hebrews chapter 7, verse 14. Because in connection with that tribe, Moses said nothing about priests. The writer of Hebrews says, next verse, verse 15. This becomes even more evident when another priest arises in the likeness of Melchizedek. He has become a priest, not on the basis of legal requirement concerning bodily descent, but on the power of an indestructible life. For it is witnessed of him, you are a priest forever after the order of Melchizedek, Psalm 110. For on the one hand, a former commandment is set aside because of the weakness and uselessness. But on the other hand, a better hope is introduced through which we draw near to God. Ah, the Levitical priesthood set aside because it is weak. But now we have a better hope. You have a better hope because Jesus is of Melchizedek, as it were. That means you're not limited to a human being solely as your priest, an Aaronic priesthood. You're not looking to Billy Graham or me or, thank God, me or anyone else to be your priest. Now you have a priest in Jesus Christ. You don't need to come to a priest and confess. You don't need to come to a priest in order to find attendance in the presence of God. You don't need to go to a person, a man or a woman, in order to draw near to God because Jesus Christ is your priest. Praise his name, right? In the order of Melchizedek. So even though Jesus wasn't a Levite, it's almost as though the writer is saying, good thing. Because now Jesus is not confined to the tribe of Levi. And, and they, it says in our text I just read, because of weakness and uselessness, Jesus became a better hope introduced to us that we might draw near to God. In other words, they were weak and useless, <laughs> the writer is saying. And I'm not trying to indict the Levites in the Old Testament because I know I'm in the same boat. If you're looking to me as Pastor Pete to somehow get you in, you're in big trouble because I'm weak and useless in my own strength or merit. If you're looking to me to get you an in with God, you're in bad shape. You need to look, you get to look, you must look at Jesus. He's the only way. You don't need a man nor a woman. All you need is Jesus. Now, in the Old Testament, 
the people were confined. They were limited to the, the priest, the high priest, particularly when it came to getting close to God. In the Old Testament, God set up at the mountain, Mount Sinai, the law, the rules, the regulations in which his people might be able to worship and experience God. And that was the Levitical priesthood. That was the tabernacle and the sacrifices therein. So the closest thing they could get to God was the tabernacle and the high priest. Yet 40 years, listen to this, after Jesus' death, the temple was destroyed. 40 years after Jesus' death, no longer was there a high priest. God, of course, was saying, Jesus already taught that this generation will not pass away before the blooming of the fig tree. The generation, 40 years, a 40-year generation. It's always a generation in the scriptures. And that generation passed away, but not before the temple was destroyed and the priesthood that the people were so used to and accustomed to was no longer. 40 years after Jesus' death, God was saying, wasn't he? Jesus already said, God was now saying, the season is over. There's no longer any sacrifice for sins to be made. Jesus made the final sacrifice once and for all. It is finished. There are no more sacrifices for you to make, dear friend. There's nothing more for you to do in order to compensate for your weakness, your lack, your sin, neither for me. Praise God, Jesus did it all. When he said it is finished, it tore the veil that we might come boldly in and even further this cause, the temple was destroyed within the generation like Jesus said it would be. And it hasn't been built since.
Hebrews 7.15, chapter 7, verse 15. This becomes even more evident when another priest arises in the likeness of Melchizedek, who has become a priest not on the basis of a legal requirement concerning bodily descent, but by on the power of an indestructible life. So Melchizedek was a priest, not on the basis of his legacy or his lineage, but on the fact that he was indestructible. And so too did Jesus Christ. For the scriptures then says, for it is witnessed of him, you are a priest forever after the order of Melchizedek. Psalm 110. For on the one hand, a former commandment is set aside because of the weakness and uselessness But on the other hand, a better hope is introduced through which we draw near to God. And it was not without an oath. For those who formerly became priests were such without an oath. But this was one made a priest with an oath by the one who said to him, quote, The Lord has sworn and will not change his mind. You are a priest forever. This makes Jesus a guarantor of a better covenant. You can count on the better covenant. Why? Jesus is the guarantee. Oh, yes. Praise God. Jesus is the guarantee that there's a better covenant. Why is it a better covenant? Because the old covenant was this. God does his part and you do yours. That was the old covenant. The new covenant is God does his part whether or not you do yours. You must simply believe and have faith. That's what makes this covenant better than the old. That's what makes it a better covenant because as verse 22 says, this makes Jesus, that is these promises that we just read, this makes Jesus the guarantor of a better covenant. How, how wonderful. Think about it. The old covenant with the Ten Commandments and the law of Moses and the Mosaic ordinances and the Levitical priesthood and the sacrifices, all of that, which people, even today, Christians, so many Christians are so enamored with that they want to emulate those things. They want to do those things. We see some Christians, quote, messing around, end quote, in those things. (laughs) But we have a better covenant than that because Jesus Christ is the guarantee. Not me, not my keeping of anything, 
not my making sacrifices, not my going to the tabernacle, not my bringing my ox, not my living according to the law. It's Jesus's being the sacrifice. It's Jesus making us his tabernacle. It's Jesus fulfilling the law himself. We're not minimizing sin here. We're maximizing Jesus. We're maximizing grace. And you might feel, man, I'm a sinner. I'm, 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 I must be in hot water with God. I, I must be skating on thin ice to use another metaphor. You know what? Your sin will never swallow up God. We'll never up swallow up God's grace, but vice versa. God's grace can and will swallow up your sin. Praise the Lord. So Jesus, as wonderful or powerful as the priesthood was, is better, we are told, than that priesthood He's in the order of Melchizedek, a man whom Abraham bowed down to, a man from Jerusalem, a man outside, living before the tribe of Levi or the Levites. And that's where Jesus comes from, if you would. That's who Jesus is, so to speak. And that's why it is finished. The Christian life begins with the finished work of Jesus. Praise his name for that. (laughs) That it's no longer about me keeping my end of the bargain or the deal or the covenant. The old covenant is beautiful. The old covenant was God doing his part and man or woman doing their part. And you know how many people still operate in that? Even so many Christians are still in that old covenant, what I call grah, (laughs) grace and the law. I want to inspire you if I can. I want to be inspired myself to get out of the law and get out of grah and in to the grace of God. This is a good day. Jesus, your mercy. It is new for me. It is new for me.
If you want to take this challenge, if you want, I want to challenge you, if you want to take it, to teach yourself to have less needs and less demands. Well, that would be great, Pete. We all want less needs and demands. You're telling me to teach myself. How do I do that? Sabbath. Sabbath means literally to stop. And when you Sabbath, you are declaring that you have enough, (laughs) that the supply is greater than the demand. And I mean a Sabbath day, but I also, even more importantly, according to the New Testament, mean a Sabbath life, mindset. See, God even took a Sabbath on the seventh day of creation, as you know. And God said it is good to creation. God defined creation, not the other way around. God didn't wait for creation to say to him, you are good. God didn't wait for creation to define him. God defined creation. Again, God defined creation, not the other way around. What I mean is... You don't have to wait for your job to say you are good. You don't have to wait for your family to say you are good. But by taking a Sabbath, you are waiting for nothing to say you are good. You are saying to your job, you are saying to your family, it is good. I don't wait for my creation to tell me I'm good. I love my family. I respect my boss, who's also my father. But they don't define me. This is why what Jesus gives is a Sabbath for your soul. Because otherwise, your conscience will never find rest. There will always be demands. But the blood of Jesus meets every demand and therefore gives rest. That's why the number of the mark of the beast is 666. The number of labor of unrest of man, right? 666, seven, just one seven is the completion, is the Sabbath. Justification, just to be, not to have to be successful or be wealthy or be a minister. Those things may come, but justification to just be because what Jesus has done. That's why you have to labor to rest. There's my little pontification on Sabbath. We'll be right back. Breathe, breathe it in. Feel your heart beat again. Here we are. I stand with you to begin to behold to belong to be known to believe we become new the promise of a kingdom come 
So in one last review here on Hebrews 7, remember, the closest that people could get to God was the high priest in the Old Testament. But within 40 years after Jesus' death, the temple was destroyed. There was no longer a high priest. God was saying, that season is over. 
There is no sacrifice for sins left. Jesus declared it is finished. Now, up to that point, the people went and brought sacrifices, but no longer. Now, what do they do? If you're not a, a, a believer in Christ Jesus, if, if you don't believe that he is the final sacrifice, he, he finished the work. Say you're a Jew today. You can't go to the temple, can you? There's just the platform where the temple stood, but it, it, there's no longer a temple in Jerusalem. So what you do on the day of Yom Kippur, what you do is you present to God your righteousness and approach God in your righteousness. So on Yom Kippur, you sit in your house and meditate. And you consider all the sins that you committed the previous year. And then you consider all the good deeds you did. And if your good deeds outweigh the bad ones on the scale, so to speak, and you're able to say, I'm better than I am bad, then you can be blessed and accepted by God. Now, that's pretty sketchy, isn't it? Yet that's how it's been for 2,000 years for the Jewish community apart from Jesus Christ. On the day of Yom Kippur, they have to sit and think about their good deeds and bad deeds, and hopefully the good deeds outweigh the bad deeds on the scale. But nowhere in the Old Testament, nowhere in the Bible does it ever say anything like that. There is always, always God's means in order to take care of your sin, to cover your sin. And it doesn't come through you doing more good than bad, but you presenting your sacrifices to God. And so all those who believe, whether it's you, me, or a Jewish person, that God will accept you based on your good works or accept you based on your righteousness, you are fooling yourself. But you don't believe that, do you? So I want you to be re-refreshed. <laughs> re-refreshed by the message of the gospel of Jesus Christ. That you are accepted, not on your righteousness, but on Jesus's perfection. You are not accepted on the basis of your good works, but on the basis of his finished work. That's who you are today. Praise the Lord. Come out tonight join us. I can't wait. We're going to be in Proverbs 31, one of the most insightful, interesting chapters in all of the Bible. So that'll be my dad. That'll be tonight. Come out and join us. Thank you for tuning in. 
whether it was for five minutes or the whole hour. I appreciate it. Thank you for letting me share from the book of Hebrews. Tomorrow, Hebrews chapter 8. So go ahead and read ahead if you want. And I'll talk to you tomorrow. God bless.